Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Good morning, uh, Bridge Church, and before we get into uh, the word, uh, we do want to continue into worship, specifically as we've been emphasizing prayer uh, in this season and giving us an opportunity to take a moment to specifically trust God, reach out to God, call out to God for uh, his presence, for healing, for whatever we need in our lives. You know, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek the fir- first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's a lot of anxiety that many of us have in these times about the things that we need, and they are important. And it's just a really important reminder that Jesus' invitation is that the Father knows, we sang earlier, he knows you by name, and he knows the specific needs as well. And prayer, especially corporately, gives us an opportunity to call to those needs. So I'm going to invite anyone who has felt that sense of anxiousness about some needs in your life to just come up front and we're going to pray over you and uh, just pray with you, stand in agreement for those things that you might have need. Uh, This is just an opportunity for all of us to be in prayer together, to be that sense of reminder of the fact that whatever it is that you might need, whether it's financial provision, whether it's healing, whether it's any of those things that God the Father sees, he hears, he heals. And so just want to give you that invitation. You can just come up to the front right now and um, let us take this moment to pray with each other, pray for each other, and be reminded that we do have a God who not only knows us by name, but he knows what we need by name. And so we'll just be uh, interceding together. If you're 
there in your seat. This is not, this is corporate. This isn't just spectator. We're all praying and trusting God and, and calling out to him. So uh, with that in mind, let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you know us by name and you know our needs by name. We thank you that you remind us in your word that we don't have to be anxious about anything. But by prayers and petitions with supplication and everything to make our requests known to God. So God, we take you up on that invitation today to let you know the concerns of our hearts, the burdens of our hearts, the things that we are anxious about, God. You remind us that to just look into the sky and see those birds and be reminded of the fact that you provide for them. And so you will come through for us as well. God, we call out to you because we recognize the limitations of ourselves. As the song says, our storage is empty, but we're available. We're available for your hand to move. We're available for your solutions. We're available for your provisions. We're available for what you have for us, God. And so we ask that you would um, help us to incline ourselves to you as you incline yourself to us. God, it might be just wisdom that we need. It may not even be a physical need or a financial thing. God, you say that all who seek wisdom, that let him ask God, let her ask God, let us seek you because you don't hide yourself from us. You don't, you're not playing hide and seek with your will and with your provision and with your plans. But there is a way in which we need to move into the still small voice and we need to be still and be quiet so that we can learn from you. God, would you quiet down the noise in our lives so that we can hear clearly? And God, sensing a need to pray, God, that you would just also help us align ourselves, not just to what we desire, but what you desire. Because prayer is a petition, and just like a child that may be asking things that might do them harm, sometimes we ask things that we don't really need that actually would be harmful. God, would you show us that? Would you give us a sense of your divine perspective? Because your ways are not our ways, and your thoughts are not our thoughts. But God, we can rest assured that that which you have for us is that which is good and perfect and pleasing. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters. We pray for those who are just tired and desperate and in the need for a touch from you, God. Lord, we commit these things to you because you tell us at the end of that passage How much more if the flowers have what they need, if the birds have what they need, how much more will you give us what we need, Lord? So we stand and we agree with the how much more, God. 
And that that sense of need that we have, that sense of burden we have won't be there always, God. And we already position ourselves to seek you first, to seek your kingdom first, to seek your righteousness first. There are things in our lives that you may be needing to clean up through this difficulty. God, would you show us your heart and align ourselves to you? We thank you, God, for your provision, but we thank you more importantly for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Amen. It's good to pray, isn't it? Sometimes I, you start off just struggling and anybody in, you're like, oh, I needed that. I needed that reminder. I needed that perspective. Well, thank you again for coming through. And we are continuing on this series, hopefully. Last week, uh, we talked a lot and we described what hope expects. Sometimes there's some unexpected things about hope that we kind of take for granted. But it's nice to know what hope can expect. But today we're going to be focused on how hope is made, right? How do we cultivate hope? How do we, we, what's the recipe for developing hope? And and I've been encouraged that many of you have have shared that it's been a tough season of despair. You know, that idea of deferred dreams, sometimes deferred loans. Amen. (laughs) That's real. Seem to come up. But despair doesn't defer. Like, you ever notice that, like, you'd be waiting for a check in the mail, and it seems like it takes forever, but those bills come on time exactly when they need to. You know what I mean? So there does seem to be a a disparity there. So how do we cultivate hope? What is the recipe? Well, you know, recipes are often highly guarded secrets. You want to get the side eye real quick, ask a nana or grandma, hey, what you put in this? And I'm not telling you my recipe. And even corporately, we can see that happening. You know, KFC has a net worth of about $10 billion worldwide. And so the recipe that started this empire, Colonel Sanders created in the 1940s, is a heavily guarded secret. I kid you not, y'all, in case you didn't notice. The recipe actually sits behind two feet thick guarded walls, has round-the-clock surveillance, two unique pin codes for two executives who are the only two who can open the vault. Of the 11 spices, they actually use two different facilities to combine the spices. So like one will have five and one will have six. And then they take two trucks to combine them together so no one has the full recipe. And some of y'all are thinking to yourself, all of that for some whack chicken? Because something happened. I, the KFC of my youth is no longer alive. And I don't, I don't understand what happened, but something got broke down. But the, the point is simply that they do all this to guard this recipe. And, you know, growing up, uh, my grandma, uh, she was the cook, the champion, made everything the best, the best fried chicken, actually. KFC could have learned a lot from her. But um, 
she would she had this bread recipe that we would just fight over. Like Thanksgiving, we weren't fighting over the turkey and stuff. We were fighting over her homemade bread. And uh, but you know, she would make it on a on a regular basis. And when I lived, I would sometimes live with her, and you could just smell the bread wafting up the three flights. And there's nothing like the smell of fresh baked bread. Amen. <laughs> Facts. Sometimes we actually smell it here because we're near the uh, Panera, but, um, but that ain't got nothing on my grandma's though. But I would kind of walk downstairs early in the morning and she would, you know, be baking this bread. And she actually had this little baking tin that she would like let me put my little part, portion of the dough in there. And I'm like, I made bread with grandma. But when it was time for me to move on and grow up and I was like, hey, grandma, like, can you give me that recipe? She gladly, joyfully gave me the recipe because she wanted me to continue the tradition that she had once she was gone. And fortunately, God doesn't treat the recipe for hope like KFC does. He actually has made it very clear in his word and he offers it freely for us. We can find it actually in scripture and we're going to be looking specifically at this recipe in Romans chapter 5. Uh, Romans is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome. And it's a teaching uh, letter. It's, it's, he's explaining the foundations of the faith. It is widely considered the most clear and thorough and rich description of the gospel in the Christian faith throughout the entire scripture. He spends the first four chapters explaining how we're justified by faith. You see, oftentimes back then, just like now, there's a tendency for people who want to be justified or think that they're made right, made right people, made good people, made good with God because of their performance for God. They think that if I do enough, if, I, if I'm a good enough person, then that means I'm justified still to this day. If you ask somebody you know, who believe, hey, do you think you'll go to heaven? And if they believe that there is a heaven, they might say, yeah, because I'm a good person. That's an aspect of being justified by what you do. And so Paul dismantles that argument in the first four chapters of Romans and then explains in the fourth chapter how Abraham himself, who was the father of the faith, was justified by faith before uh, the works came. And so he breaks that down. So in, in Romans 5 through 8, he actually now goes on to explain the implications of that justification by faith. And that is how it gives us hope. That is, that is literally the, first, the next three chapters is a full treatise on the implications of hope and how we get hope as a result of what he had just been sharing. So I'm going to read these five verses in their entirety, and then we'll just kind of break them down. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope. There's that word of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. 
And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The recipe for hope. Now, the first step that in any recipe is to get the right ingredients, right? You get the recipe out and then you don't have it, the things in your home, you go to the grocery store and make sure you get the right things. Because without flour or butter or salt or yeast, you're not making my grandmama's water. I mean, bread, you know, in water too, you need that. But without any of those things, you're not making bread. So the first thing you have to do is get the right ingredients. The other thing is what you start off with in the quality of those ingredients will determine the outcome of what you make. If you start off with, you know, some rancid flour, it's going to be some real nasty bread, no matter what you do with it. So you have to have high quality ingredients. And look at what Paul starts us with. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we start talking about hope, we have to understand how do we get peace with God? You see, many people are searching in the wrong places for hope because they've established or tried to establish the wrong sense of peace. If you're seeking peace in a relationship, then you've used the wrong ingredients. If you're seeking peace through a sense of, well, if I just have enough money because I was growing up and we struggled a lot, so I'm just going to try to compensate for that by just making sure I have enough in the bank, then that's peace in the wrong thing. And you're starting with the wrong ingredients. The other problem with those ingredients is that it doesn't solve the ultimate problem, which is our conflict with God. You see, in Romans 1, he establishes that the wrath of God has been established and poured out on all flesh. Why? Because we've rejected God and have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped the things instead of the creator of the things. This is what Paul established. So if I'm still establishing my trust on the things and not the creator of the things, then now I still am in conflict with God and I've made God out to be a liar. And beef with God or God having beef with us is never going to establish the type of peace that we need. In other words, we have to step one in the recipe is to get peace with God. And the peace of God requires peace with God. Let me, let me explain that. In Philippians, it says that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind. How do I get that kind of peace? A peace that no matter what happens in life, I will be secure. Well, that's because if I have the peace with God, meaning that if I am, if all is well with my soul, because all is well with the one who created my soul, then I can look into any situation and have peace and therefore the basis of hope. But if I am still at odds, if I'm still in tension, if that foundational peace hasn't been resolved, then I still got problems. And look at how peace relates to hope in the passage. He says, we have peace with God. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace. Somebody say access. Access into 
by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of glory. We can now rejoice in the hope because we know that God, when he returns and makes all things right, that we're part of the things that people that he's invited into that process because we have peace with God. And that peace doesn't change even though I may change because I got my good days and I got my bad days. If I'm justified by my works, then that's a problem. But if I'm justified by faith in what God has done, then it's not a problem. And I can still have peace, the peace of God, because I have peace with God. And Paul also communicates what establishes that. He says through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that through is a clear reference to what Jesus had to go through in order to obtain that peace for me. This was not cheap. You know, you get the best ingredients. If you really want to get the, make the best outcome and the best food, you get the top choice ingredients. But they're expensive. Well, let me tell you what the price tag for the peace with God was. It was the sinless death of an innocent man who was God incarnate on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Lord, treat me like you need to treat them because of their sin. That is the price of the peace with God that establishes our hope. So we need the peace with God. That's step one that Paul identifies. And we can do that and then we can rejoice in the hope of glory because that hope that is coming is a hope that we get to participate in. Now, that's just the first step, though. Step two is the next one, and this one <laughs> is a bit more challenging. All right, so you get your ingredients, and the first thing you need to do before you bake is to preheat the oven. You need to preheat it so before you put it in. And, and, in, and in this context, if we want the recipe for hope, we have to preheat problems with praise. We need to preheat problems with praise. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, one of the reasons why preheating is so necessary in baking is because if I just get the ingredients and I put it in a cold oven and then I turn the oven on, there's no guarantee of what outcome is going to cook unevenly because every oven heats up at a different rate. If I do that also with something that might be perishable or have bacteria like meat in it, then it actually can create more opportunity for bacteria to grow before it reaches the right temperature. So I have to preheat so that it cooks evenly and that the, 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 the heat does what it's intended to do. Well, in verse 3, look at what Paul says. Not only that, but we rejoice in suffering. Whoa. Whoa, whoa. Okay, you had me with the rejoice with the hope of glory, but rejoice in suffering? What kind of nonsense is this? How, Sway? Rejoice in suffering. Now, there's two tendencies that we have to kind of misinterpret this. One is that when people think rejoice in suffering, they, mean, they think it means to deny that suffering exists. You, you, we've seen people like this, right? You know, How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. <laughs> Yo, you're sniffling. You, you, you coming down with something? I'm not claiming that. <laughs> and somehow, 
by not acknowledging that, yo, I'm coming down with the cold, that somehow that will magically make it not so. Denying that suffering. That's not what Paul is saying right here. There's no inner immunity that we have to suffering because of our faith. It's amazing that we just overlook Job. <laughs> like just a whole book where a dude is suffering because God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And he's faithful and true and goes through a whole lot of things. He didn't say, well, I just didn't claim that. And the other way that people misinterpret this is to think that it means we rejoice even though we suffer. Oh, these are the stiff upper lip people. This is the like just... I'm going to just, you know, go through and I I just think that what it means to rejoice in suffering is just like just no pain, no gain, go through it. But that's not what this is saying either, because, see, the reality with that is eventually we all get exhausted. Eventually, you can only grit your teeth and bear it for so long before it breaks down. And then what? So it's not saying rejoice even though we suffer. Now, one other last caveat, he's not saying rejoice for your suffering, because there's some of us that got like they had that martyr syndrome where they're like, yeah, you know, I'm suffering. Yay. Like (laughs) rejoice because I'm suffering. Like, hey, I love suffering. It's like, no, 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 no. That's that's not what this is saying either. We don't need to be martyrs. Suffering, sickness, these things, you know, Jesus died for. They're not like good things. Right. But what that suffering is a picture of is the gap that exists between reality and our hope. The gap that exists between the reality and the hope. And this is where rejoicing makes sense. Because when I recognize and I put my faith in the right hope, in the hope, in the glory of God, then what that allows me to do is to recognize that even though right now there's a gap between the reality and the hope, that gap ain't going to be there always. And that I serve one who will eventually close the gap and will ultimately use the gap to make me more glorious. Some of y'all like glorious. One of the most, uh, this is, I got to move on, but I'll just say this real quick. One of the most misunderstood or even not even understood thing is that we share in the glory of God. You know, at, 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 like, it is glorious when you see someone who used to act a certain way, look a certain way, and then they change because God has changed them. And you go, ooh, this is, this is the whole thing of all the makeover shows we do, right? Like, there's a glory involved where somebody had no fashion sense, needed all the things changed, and then they change. You're like, wow, look at that. There's a glory with that. In this context, though, the glory that we get to experience is that we are becoming more like God. So ultimately, our glory is just a reflection of his glory. And understood in that way, I can celebrate the fact that I am sharing in his glory. You know, um, during a pandemic, one of the ways in which it affected me was that as opposed to traveling all around to go to seminary classes or to have meetings with you know, leaders and people, I was doing everything via Zoom. And what ended up happening was I didn't have those normal travel times. And I was starting to extend my capacity because now all of a sudden I don't have to go to Midtown or Queens or wherever to have a meeting. I just 
can go right back to back. That travel time was cut out. Well, what ended up happening was I was sitting down in front of my computer for like 14 hours going to work and doing that day after day after day. And then because there was such an urgency of needs that people had, I didn't take the time, make the time to rest, work out, all of those things. And so what I started having a compressed disc in my back. I started getting very difficult back pains that was happening. And so because of those back pains, I was like, oh, I, I can't work out even more now because I'm like, I don't know what's going on with my back. I couldn't even sit down for like 20 minutes straight. It was just excruciating pain. I ended up uh, going to a chiropractor, which had helped in the past in physical therapy. Actually, right, across, like right in front of this place, phys uh, Physiologic, is where I went for two years straight. And over time, uh, they kind of started to just work on me, and, and it kind of helped me improve. But the thing that I remembered was after having been someone who had, you know, been always very active and running long distances and all of these things, that the frustration and the sense of complete apathy and just <sighs> despair that I had that not, not only could I not think about running, I couldn't even sit up for 30 minutes. And in the midst of that, it started to just create a sense of a bad mood, a sense of almost just like a sadness, a weight that caused me to not even think of what else I could do. And the uh, chiropractor and the physical therapist, the thing that they did that was so helpful in addition to just the manipulations and things of the back was to tell me to modify. Like, okay, part of what you need to do is just modify so that you can do something even though you can't do what you once did. And praise, when I preheat my problems with praise, what that means, first of all, I have an attitude and a perspective of praise. But even when I, before the problem becomes, uh, before I even get to the solution of the problem, if I already am understanding God, I don't know how, but you're going to use this situation for your glory. I am now in modification mode where now I am doing what I can now. That gap between reality and hope, I'm just doing, taking a baby step. Whereas before I might have been sprinting, now I might just be walking, but I am getting closer to that end goal because I am modifying my expectations. I'm modifying my pace. I'm modifying and get to the point where I can praise him anyhow. Amen. And that's why it's so important to preheat our problems with praise. Because if I wait to have a lifestyle of praise until the problem comes, I am going to respond unevenly. The, I, 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 sometimes I'm going to be up, but sometimes I'm going to be down. But if I have a, see, preheating changes the atmosphere. And we need to change the atmosphere of our situations. I still have problems. I'm not ignoring them. I'm not denying them. But my attitude, the atmosphere in which the problem hits is different because I know with every problem, there is a savior who has a solution to the problem. We need to preheat our problems with praise. This is what Peter says in uh, what Pastor James preached a few weeks ago in 1 Peter 1. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Somebody say for a little while. For a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than the gold that perishes, though it tested through the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is we rejoice that even though for a little while we're experiencing these things, 
one, God is using the things that we're experiencing to make our goal, to refine us, to make us better people. But then also he's doing it on the reverse end of getting us closer to that revelation of Jesus Christ. One last point about this. Praise empowers us to perceive possibilities. There are things that you can't even imagine what God is doing in the midst of things right now because you're too busy stuck on the reality of what is wrong, the problem. So in the case of me, I didn't realize how good of exercise walking is. Wait, you mean I can still walk? Praise God I can walk. Eventually, that walking turned into, I remember one day I was like, man, I'm tired of walking. I'm just going to run a little bit and see what happened. For you know, it was like a half a mile and then got tight. And I was like, tag, I used to be a cross-country runner. Then the next day, though, I was like, I did something, though. Got it to a mile. Week later, got it to two miles. Now I'm up to four. We, we, going, we getting there, baby. We back, right? And so praise empowers us to perceive possibilities. Do you ever notice that you might be tired in a workout, but that one particular song hit with the right BPMs, and all of a sudden, you like got this secret win. That is praise in the midst of your problems, right? Like that's what you're doing. You're somehow changing the atmosphere, your mindset, so you can push through when it's a difficult situation. All right, step three. Once you preheat, now you gotta blend the ingredients. And the thing about ingredients is oftentimes when you're baking, especially, you realize that there are unexpected ingredients that are in things that you don't normally think about. Like in bread and cookies, like they got salt. Like, and you think they're sweet. I don't think of it as a salty, savory thing. But that's necessary in order to have balance. If you just have all sweet, then it just doesn't taste right. But, but, but we're real chefs, they understand that you got to put a little salt, bay. You got to put a little salt in <laughs> In the, in the ingredients, even when it's sweet, to make it a little bit salty. And that, that's what endurance helps us to understand. We have to blend in endurance. And look at what Paul says. He says, first, we rejoice in our suffering. And then he explains, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Somebody say endurance. Endurance is one of the things that has become underrated as a quality trait in our quick fix instantaneous microwave culture where we stop learning how to persevere and endure. But there's an important need for endurance. And so what he's saying is that nothing helps you learn to endure like suffering. Sometimes you're in a bad work environment and the solution isn't find another job. Sometimes God is doing something in having a tedious unappreciative boss in helping you, one, stop being so concerned about what other people think of you, two, understand how to actually function around dysfunctional people so that when you get elevated to another state, you actually know how to do it on a higher level. God is sometimes doing something in the midst of the problem, and so he's building up for us endurance. And this is why during suffering, the work of Christ means the most. Because if you believe that, then you have hope that even though it's heavy right now, it's going to be better. You know, this was a cold day after a few kind of warm days. And um, the thing that's interesting is we get to experience the, the, the power of endurance in our homes whenever they're heated. Because you see that what happens is you have a thermostat and the thermostat, you know, you might set to 65 or 70. Some of y'all, 75, all right, I ain't, I'm not judging, I'm not judging, I'm not judging. 
Kanye got something to say about that, but I ain't judging. <laughs> but um, whatever you set it to, the whole premise of the thermostat and the heater is that if it's 50 degrees outside, the thermostat might have to crank it up to like, you know, might work at 15% in order to get it to 70. But if it's 30 degrees outside, the thermostat is working harder and internally creating more heat in order to counterbalance the cold that is on the outside. Some of y'all see where I'm getting with this. No, the, the, the colder that it gets, the, the tougher that it gets in your environment, the Holy Spirit is developing more and more heat internally so that you can sustain the difficult circumstances. And that is why we need endurance. All right. Some of y'all, that wasn't impressive. Okay. All right. I got you. I got you. I'm just going to let the, I'm just going to let the word do the heavy lifting. So Paul writes in second Corinthians 12, he says, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. He's saying, yo, I'm struggling with this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it, exactly what it is, if it's physical or if it was something else. And, and he says, whatever it was, it was a messenger of Satan. And I prayed that God would remove it from me three different times. I kept coming back. And then he says, I, I, I'm struggling with this. But somehow it has something to do with me being conceited or to keep me from becoming conceited. God sends something in my life to keep me from being conceited. And then he might use a messenger that is evil in the embodiment of Satan. Some of y'all just got helped by that. Some, some, somebody, there's a thorn in your flesh right now that it looks like somebody in particular that you go, well, how is this person ever going to be useful in my life? Well, if God can use a messenger of Satan with Paul's thorn, then maybe there might be something for you. But this is what Paul said. After he prayed three times about it. But he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. Paul got this revelation and he said, look, Paul, I know you're praying and I respect your prayer life in this moment. But guess what? My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Endurance is forged in the fire of adversity. There's no other way around it. If you want to be a person who can endure hardship, you got to go through some things. Like. That's the only way. <laughs> like, like if you, you want to get like some stronger muscle mass, you, you want you want to get that kind of rip, you know, kind of, hey, flit and fly, fit and fly by July look going on. Well, you have to have resistance against you to push. So your muscles have to tear and then grow. The next step builds on that last one, he says. So we rejoice in suffering because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces, uh, and endurance produces character. Somebody say character. So then what happens is with bread, once you've mixed the ingredients together, you're still not done. You have to then work 
the dough. You have to knead the dough. And in the same way, what he's saying is you have to knead in character. Because, see, kneading requires a sense of work and effort. It doesn't just... Ha- All right, y'all looking at me like y'all tired. And I got Hold on for a second. When you have this sense of dough, what's important is you have to work the dough. And working the dough involves kneading it. You take it and you got to press it down. And you work it and you press it down. And that, this is a scientific process. What, what's happening when you're pressing and you're kneading the dough is that there's gluten in there. So I know some of y'all gluten-free. I guess you're gluten-free bread. But this is the gluten bread. And what's happening is the gluten is stretching out. Like gluten, when its natural form, is short. And it needs to be stretched in order to be worked out. So you know that nice airy pockets that you get in your bread? That happens as a result of the kneading. And so what I'm saying to you is that when, in order for you to have character worked in you, God has to knead the dough. He has to press down on it so that you create in yourself the opportunity and the spaces for you to have a sense of character that is stretched. Character that is able to sustain the difficult things so that it has the right texture and the right posture. It needs to be, you need to be more elastic. And the only way to do that is the pressure of needing. That's how you develop character. Well, after it's kneaded, the next thing that happens is it's proofed. You see, there's yeast in the bread, and it has to just sit. And when it sits, the yeast does the work, and then suddenly the bread rises. Some of you are wanting to rise too quickly. You're wanting to rise immediately. But if you're going to be the type of work, if you're going to get the type of hope that you need, you got to let that thing rise. You need to just sit and let it down. And there's nothing, no Julia Childs, no Emerald, no, nobody could do anything to that bread other than let it rest. If you're sitting and you're in the pocket and you're like, tag, what's God waiting on? He's waiting on you to rise. Well, step four, once you have let it rise, then you set the timer. And in our context, you set the timer to hope. He says hope, uh, character produces hope. You see, because once you've let it rise and once you've sat and had patience enough to recognize the fact that, hey, time actually does something that nothing else can do. Now I'm able to see God at work. The hope of God requires hope in God. The hope of God requires hope 
in God. What I mean by that is the hope of God, like the hope, the things that I want, the desires, that ultimately they have to be submitted to my hope in God to show up more dynamically than any other specific desire or wish. Put a different way. Until we put our hope in Christ alone, our hopes in anything else become a hindrance. Because if I'm hoping in some other lowercase h and I'm putting all my esteem, all my affections in that, then it is actually a hindrance for the capital H hope that God is actually trying to do in and through my life. And this is difficult sometimes. I'm not under downplaying this because the disappointments that come in life, those little H's, they are significant and they can really hurt and harm us when they're not fully realized. And at the same time, this is what God is wanting to work out in us, a sense in which I calibrate my little H hope to his big H hope. And and I'm seeing myself through the lens of his story. And this is something I've actually struggled with. Uh, Ten years ago, this month, um, I, you know, was working. I was the director of a music ministry uh, in Indiana, and we had this band, and we were about to put out our second album, and I knew it was going to be the thing that my eight years prior had been working toward. It was going to kind of change the culture. It was going to be just a dynamic project. And then because of some situations and issues and lack of alignment with leadership, I ended up resigning from my position, still thinking the, the album was going to drop, but I was just not going to be able to participate. Well, one thing led to another. The band dispersed. The album never ha- came out. And I was depressed and just beleaguered. For years, I, it took me a while to heal from it. And what God was showing me in the midst of that was that little H hope had become a big H hope in my heart. And that sometimes in God's economy is actually better for the big opportunity to not happen. What profited a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? There are things that you look back upon that are regrets that are that are things that still cause you pain from 10 years ago. Opportunities that still that cause you that, that still you just bristle when you think about. And God is saying you needed that L because without that L, you don't get the W of me. What well, is one last step? In the recipe, after we let the timer set for hope, because once we set the timer for hope, there's a perspective where it's like, okay, now I realize that time isn't the end of the story. It's not the end of the picture. The last thing he says is, I love this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. The fifth step is to pour in the spirit. And the thing that's dynamic about this step that's different from all the others is the Lord has to do this one. This is a step that when I think about my grandmom's cooking, like there was just some days she was like, oh, baby, that's love in there. Like I, there's, there's, this, there's this ingredient that was like, even when I followed the same steps as you, it don't taste like yours. And that's because 
there's this ingredient of the spirit that was poured into it. And Paul is very intentionally here reflecting back and giving a nod back to Acts chapter 2 when it says when the spirit of the Lord, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church on the day of Pentecost, that that was the beginning of the church age. And he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and my sons and daughters will prophesy and dream dreams. And that begins this era where now we're able to have connection to God in a way we never could before. And he's saying that, look, Jesus said, don't do anything, disciples, until the spirit comes upon you, because that is going to give you the secret sauce in order to live out what I'm calling you to do. Are you waiting on the spirit? Are you asking the spirit to pour into your heart, into your life so that you can have the hope that you need? He said, pour out my spirit on all flesh. That's the special ingredient. You have to make it with love. You have to make it with the dependence on God. We are poor unless the spirit pours his love into our pores. We are poor unless the spirit pours his love into our pores. There are things that you're still trusting God and hoping for that haven't happened yet. Maybe a family member hasn't come to faith yet. Perhaps a health deliverance hasn't quite healed yet. Maybe you're looking out into the world and justice hasn't come yet. Well, God has made clear that there is a recipe for hope. And that recipe starts with me understanding that I have first get peace with God. I have to get the right ingredients. I have to preheat my problems with praise because then that's when I set the right atmosphere. I have to blend in endurance knowing that God even uses the salty things to make things sweet. I have to set a timer to hope. I have to look above and beyond my current reality. And then I have to pour in the spirit. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't leave us as orphans, but that you are our father who cares, who is committed to us in a, a sense of our process of being made more like you. We hope in the glory of God because you are good and your mercy endures forever. We ask that you would help fix our eyes, not on the little H hopes, but on the capital H hope, the hope in the glory of God, that we would rejoice in the hope of glory, which would also allow us to rejoice in the sufferings that are temporary in this life knowing that these sufferings will make us more like you, will make us endure and make us able to sustain and withstand any test, will make us better. Thank you, God. We don't thank you in spite of, we don't thank you in, as a, ignoring the suffering, but we thank you in the midst of it, knowing that you will get the glory and you will bring us along in that process as well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We hope today's message was encouraging to you. We would love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. If this message was impactful to you today, please send us an email, info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handles on our social media platforms is BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you are in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services on Sundays are at 11 a.m. and the address is 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope to see you soon.